Welcome to season 3 episode 8 of Mumble Mumble the Harry Potter podcast. I am Prashanthini and I am Aishwarya. Today's episode is called Hermione meets the Marauders. We are going to be covering chapter 16 Professor Trelawney's prediction, chapter 17 Cat Rat and Dog and chapter 18 Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot and Prongs. Let's start with the summary. First up Hermione has exams but she's not able to concentrate because Buckbeak's appeal is on their last day of exams and she has multiple exams scheduled for the same time slot on all days. Then they find out that Buckbeak lost the appeal. When they visit Hagrid to offer their condolences, they find Scabbers in the hut. Sneaking back to the castle becomes a chore because Ron's thought to be dead rat is determined to make a run for it. A task that becomes even more strenuous when Crookshanks and a great big jet black dog becomes involved. The much foreshadowed dog kidnaps Ron and lets his leg break in the process. When Hermione and Harry follow, they find out the dog is actually Sirius Black and he wants to quote finish the job unquote. A scuffle later, the trio comes out on top, but they are interrupted by Lupin who turns out to be on Black's side and a werewolf and Scabbers is actually a man called Peter Pettigrew. They were all best friends in school. except for snape who sincerely loads them and makes the best entrance of all time at the end of mooney wormtail padfoot and prongs that's the summary for these revelatory chapters as i've let you know many many times i'm reading the illustrated edition of harry potter and the prisoner of azkaban by jim k and the reason i'm bringing this up right now is at the beginning of chapter 16 professor trelawney's prediction there is a very cute teapot that's very alarmed That's the chapter's hero image and it is so cute. Why is the teapot alarmed? Maybe it has to take the divination exam and it doesn't think it'll pass. Maybe it's alarmed by Professor Trelawney's prediction. Maybe it is. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Trelawney's prediction is a very interesting middle chapter. It's a lot of like summaries of things going on but ends with a bang. To be honest, I felt that way about all the chapters that we are covering today. There are a lot of things going on and mostly as a reader you're just reacting to the things that are happening and you're just absorbing all this information that you did not know throughout the book and every chapter ends with a bang. <laughs> no, I think further down the chapters become more exposition and more like you know tying up loose ends of the book. But in this chapter it's purely a bridge between you know the exams and what happens next. Mhm. As we discussed in the last episode, the Gryffindors finally won the Quidditch Cup and they are celebrating but clearly they don't have a lot of time because they have to study for the exams. And when you see Fred and George studying, you understand that these exams have to be taken very seriously. But to be fair, Fred and George are taking OWLs, ordinary visiting levels, and Harry is just taking school exams. True, but it's still strange to find Fred and George sitting and studying. That's fair. I was kind of upset that Harry's euphoria lasted only a week, primarily because after this amazing high that Harry experiences, right? And it is such an amazing high because he says that if at that moment a dementor had come on the pitch, he would have produced the best Petronas. He was that happy. This Quidditch Cup achievement is never mentioned again in the books. Yeah, it's thoroughly overshadowed by the exams and what happens next. Yes. I like that the main exams or the board exams if you will are called OWLs and newts. <laughs> yeah, it always makes me laugh. Not just what it actually means. Ordinary wizarding levels and uh, nastily exhausting wizarding tests. It's also that it's named after a magical creature. <laughs> 
I think J.K. Rowling might have worked backwards. She might have wanted to name the exams after magical creatures and then ended up coming with what they expand into. And yeah. I can see she totally gave up with OWLs because Newt's is cleverer. Yeah, true. I also think that the magical community has a lot of sense of humor about their exams in this yes. case. <laughs> <laughs> is this the first time we are hearing about this? Yes, I think so. Interesting. It's not even when the trio is taking these exams. It's when... Fred and George are taking the exams which is interesting. Yeah, foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> so that when in book 5 Harry ends up having to study for the order pupils we are not like what is this thing that you just invented for this book. <laughs> yeah. Percy of course is studying for newts. Percy and Hermione they are so diligently studying that I don't think anybody could approach them when they're doing so because they'll probably bite their head off. <laughs> and apparently percy can hand out punishments i don't know this i don't know prefix can hand out punishments yeah they can they can't dock points but they can hand out punishments interesting i still think that that's a lot of power for a student i feel like you should maybe give them the power to dock points and not hand out punishments i agree but percy's motivation for studying so hard for the new newts is that he knows he has to get perfect grades if he wants to work for the ministry Harry Potter's focus is not on Harry's career prospects outside of Hogwarts but it led me to wonder where do people work in the world of Harry Potter other than for the Ministry of Magic or Hogwarts it's either the Ministry or Hogwarts or a shop on Diagon Alley wizard banking is a big thing working with dragons is a big thing i guess there's a lot of things that you can do in the ministry yeah so many people have careers only in the ministry yeah it's just when you know we look at ourselves and what we were like in school people had such diverse career choices and i can't think of a single person i went to school with who was like i'm going to go work for the government what diverse career choices it was either doctor or engineer it wasn't the government <laughs> <laughs> yeah but they are pretty close knit yeah i think every other person working in the ministry meant that a lot of people thought that that was a possible it's not political mm. is working in the ministry that's fair but it brings me to the main point which is obviously about hermione hermione's schedule is really messed up she has two exams for most slots which leads me to the question how does anybody write two exams at the same time exactly i cannot imagine preparing for and taking two exams in one day although i think it did happen when i was in school i'm not really sure I had the same blurry feeling about whether it happened on school or not. I'm sure it was some kind of term tests, you know, for which you didn't have to study a lot. Not the final exam. Yeah. And these guys don't have term tests. They only have the final exam. Exams as a whole, I just cannot imagine taking them right now. There was a part I hated the most in school and college. I even remember the day I wrote my final exam and I was so relieved. I didn't do well. but yet i was so relieved about it because i was like good or bad this is going to be the last exam i am ever going to take <laughs> for some reason even in school where i was actually really i was a topper occasionally mm. yet i was not very thrilled about writing exams it's something about the pressure and anxiety that i just hated anyway i think yet again we see ron wondering how hermione is ever going to get to her exams when she has two exams happening at the same time I also realized that Hermione would have been able to crack Hermione's secret much earlier than these two. Yeah. <laughs> Harry wisely understands that Hermione is not going to answer. 
so he tries to interest her in like a sarcastic comment ron knows well enough to not even try <laughs> yeah but it does seem really crazy that they stack all their exams like this in between all this stress about the exam the trio also hear the news that hagrid has lost the hearing and the committee for the dispersal of magical creatures was bringing the executioner with them on the last day of the exam to you know go through with the execution and ron is like they can't ron howled i've spent ages reading up stuff for him they can't just ignore it all <laughs> way to make the whole thing about you ron <laughs> poor hagrid he lost the hearing he lost the appeal he must be having a terrible time and these three cannot even go talk to him because of the exams and because of all the new security restrictions that the school has they can only see him and talk to him during the test that he is setting them the care of magical creatures exam which is to keep flobberworms alive and as flobberworms flourish best when they are left to themselves it's the easiest exam that harry has to take yeah i think the test also shows hagrid's mental state because he's clearly picked something that wouldn't be an inconvenience to him but that would look like a test yeah i love reading about exams in harry potter i love it because jk rowling really chooses to live in up the mundaneness of the exams yeah. with clever stuff all the time like for instance in portions harry couldn't get his confusing concoction to thicken like he was confused by a confusing concoction <laughs> <laughs> she has a lot of fun with this yes i thought lupin's exam was very cool an obstacle course i just love that the only thing i did not get last obstacle where students are supposed to climb into an old trunk and battle a bogart how does one climb into a trunk exactly the previous times they had to deal with the bogart they just opened the trunk and the bogart came out maybe the bogart can't be in open spaces and they were still inside a room right they like they opened the cupboard and the bogart came out into the room but maybe the trunk is outside in the sunshine so maybe the bogart can't be outside and i think maybe the trunk is there to give you the illusion of privacy so that other people can't see you facing your worst fear i understand that the very reason the whole bogart test happens is to showcase that the person or the thing or the fearsome devil that you're dealing with might not be even real mm-hmm. and your job is to first test out if it's actually something that you have to battle or if it's a bogart that's acting as if it's your worst fear and the very fact that you're getting them into a trunk means that a lot of people can immediately know that it's a bogart but they already know it's a bogart regardless of whether it's in the open or in the trunk because it's an exam for defense against the dark arts they studied bogarts in the class take hermione's example she fails it because she thinks that it's actually professor mcgonagall coming and telling her that she failed all the tests but she believed it even though she was in the trunk with it i'm just saying that hermione was particularly gullible mm-hmm. and i also understand why hermione failed it's because she was one of the very few among the whole class who's never had a chance with the bogart yeah and also poor hermione i think the stress of the exams really got to her that's probably why she was really worried about this i don't imagine hermione being so unsure of herself that she'd believe that she failed everything yeah I think this was the first time when she took on too much and she was really worried that she might not do well at all. Yeah. I also think this might be the first time that Harry does better at an exam than Hermione and this sets up a precedent for the whole series and I think also gives Harry a lot of confidence. It also really helps that this is probably 
the best exam that Harry takes. It's actually useful in real life and it's informative, which just goes to show that Lupin is a pretty good teacher. Yeah, for sure. I think the transfiguration exam is also kind of cool. Mm-hmm. It's just that it's not fun. Yes. <laughs> the third years emerged from transfiguration at lunchtime on Monday, limp and ashen-faced, comparing results and bemoaning the difficulty of the tasks they had been set, which had included turning a teapot into a tortoise. Hermione irritated the rest by fussing about how her tortoise had looked more like a turtle, which was the least of everyone else's worries. I can so totally imagine Hermione doing it and like a lot of other annoying people doing it. Yeah. Hermione is that person during the exams, discussing the question paper immediately after. I did like to do that, except if someone's not even been able to transfigure anything, uh-huh. I'm just going to not go to them and tell them about my worries. That's true. <laughs> The final day of the exams arrives and they see that the executioner is already in the school and the minister of magic is also accompanying the executioner because apparently they need some kind of a witness. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if the minister of magic did not have any other job other than to look at some hippogriff being killed. I feel like that must have been most people's first question because J.K. Rowling, when she introduces Cornelius Fudge, makes sure that the first thing that he says is, I was here to see Dumbledore about something else and I thought I'd tag along for this as well. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, poor Hagrid. Imagine the kind of guilt that he is going through, no? He loves these creatures and all he wanted to do on the first day of the Care of Magical Creatures class was to help students see how awesome these creatures are so that they can love them too. But he did not expect that it might be too extreme for any person, student or otherwise. And he put this hippogriff in danger just by parading it around. Now it's at the brink of death. He must be feeling terrible. Yeah, but we don't actually get to see a lot of Hagrid's perspective simply because of the pace at which events unfold. Which I guess brings us to the last exam. It's just Ron and Harry taking divination because Hermione walked out of the class. Good for her. Yeah. Good for her, seriously. Because the exam sounds like super hokey and I cannot believe it took Ron this long to get with the program. <laughs> when they're preparing for the exam, he's like, she seems like a right old fraud. Like really, all these classes before it didn't make you think about that. <laughs> I like that Neville is super panicked, of course. He's like, have either of you seen anything in a crystal ball? <laughs> yeah, I know. Such a Neville line. I'm also really amazed at Harry, to whom it did not even occur to make stuff up till the exam. Yeah. (laughs) So basically, when they take the exam, all they have to do is look at a crystal ball and predict what's going to happen. Harry predicts that the hippogriff is going to get away. And Professor Trelawney doesn't really agree with it. Her eagerness to probe Harry to see the execution of Buckbeak in the crystal ball is just... It's indecent. Looks like she enjoyed the gory nature of her own vision or imagination that much. Yeah. But then as Harry is about to leave the class, something really, really strange happens. Professor Trelawney spoke again in the same harsh voice, quite unlike her own. The Dark Lord lies alone and friendless, abandoned by his followers. His servant has been chained these twelve years. Tonight... Before midnight, the servant will break free and set out to rejoin his master. The Dark Lord will rise again with his servant's aid, greater and more terrible than ever before. 
this sounds like a prediction what she says but we're not really sure what to know of it right because she doesn't sound like herself what she says doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense we don't know what triggered it or what it's really about but it's really lucky that harry was there professor trelawney herself thinks that harry might have misheard something or maybe she dozed off or maybe harry dozed off yeah so he doesn't know what to make of it he doesn't take it too seriously he's a little rattled but he doesn't take it too seriously yeah harry also has no room to think about this because when he runs into ron and hermione they find out that hagrid and buckbeak lost the second appeal as well and that the execution is set for sunset yeah well the second appeal is really a hoax because they brought the executioner along with them yeah but the failed appeal sort of triggers something in hermione when they receive the note she immediately suggests going to see hagrid and when everybody brings up points like hey but we have a curfew how will we get there without being seen and when harry mentions that he left the invisibility cloak in the passage behind the one-eyed witch with the hump hermione immediately tears off to go get the cloak regardless of who's going to be there or what kind of consequences also the thought of harry keeping the cloak in front of his robes and folding his arms to hide the lump when they have dinner is really hilarious <laughs> yeah <laughs> Obviously Ron and Harry are very impressed again and they they are like Hermione I don't know what's got into you lately said Ron astounded First you hit Malfoy then you walk out on Professor Trelawney That's all he says and Hermione looked rather flattered Then <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine the kind of compliments she usually received Yeah In spite of the situation I love how these three try to rally around Hagrid their friendship really is something And at most point it, it feels like Hagrid is a teenager and these three are the adults. I agree. At least in their minds the three of them treat Hagrid as though he were an equal and they realize that he immediately does need their support so they go over. But even when they get there they don't really get much time with Hagrid because as soon as they get there Hermione attempts to do the soothing thing that Ron suggested at some point and tries to make tea but she finds of uh, something really really interesting in Hagrid's milk jug it's Cabbage the rat i have no idea how the rat got all the way from the castle to inside Hagrid's milk jug but okay <laughs> it's a rat the much argued about rat just happened to be hiding inside the milk jug when hermione opened it while trying to make tea while they were waiting for buckbeak to be executed okay sure all of these things i'm willing to believe why what's unbelievable about it it's just of all the times and places at which i had expect for them to discover scabbers this is not one of them hagrid is just so helpless in that situation he wants to make tea in spite of his helplessness and he breaks one of the milk jugs it's a series of events that lead up to it i find it convincing okay sure i guess it also tells us that if something dies and you don't see the body don't believe it <laughs> sometimes you shouldn't believe even if you find the dead body Yes, <laughs> but seriously, the way Hagrid's helplessness is described is just so heartbreaking. Yeah. I know that I'm always talking about how awesome the movie is, but this is where I think it really drops the ball. In the movie Hagrid is not helpless at all. Oh, look at him. Those the smell of the trees and the wind blows through him. Why don't we just set him free? I know it was me. Dumbledore getting the trouble. Coming down, you know, Dumbledore. Says he wants to be with me when they when it happens. Great man, Dumbledore. Great man. Do you even love your pet? That was the reaction I had when I saw it. 
ही इज नॉट फीलिंग गिल्टी ही इज नॉट टेरिफाइड इन स्पाइट ऑफ द सिचुएशन एज सोन एज हरमाइनी फाइन स्कैबर्स शी इज लाइक सम वन ऑफ सम वन एन अपॉलॉजी या टू बी ऑनेस्ट आई वॉज एक्चुअली सरप्राइज इन द बुक दैट नीदर रॉन नॉर हरमाइनी इमीडिएटली रिएक्टेड टू द फैक्ट दैट स्कैबर्स ओवर विच दे आर्ग्यूड सो मच एंड over which their friendship nearly ended was actually alive no but i think the situation was like that yeah they don't have enough time to process because as soon as they find scabbers they see that the minister and the executioner and dumbledore are on their way to hagrid's hut so hagrid pushes them out of the hu- back door of the hut this is a hut that has a front door and a back door but okay <laughs> this liberal interpretation of what buildings should be like especially when their names are the complete opposite continues in this book i will bring it up later in the next location <laughs> this is the part i did not believe in the movie at all because hagrid is so chill about it why would the trio come there to you know give him moral support maybe they thought he'd be more rattled but he was actually very chill about it i definitely think that something major was lost there yeah to be honest this is the part of the movie this entire part that we are covering right now This is the part of the movie for me where the movie really drops the ball. I feel like its explanations and the way it's set up are very unconvincing and I just couldn't buy into it, which was very sad because this is one of my favorite parts of the whole series, everything that follows. I feel like if they had just stuck with what was in the book, they might have fared better. Yeah. And I don't say this often. I don't say this about every book to movie conversion like most people. It's okay if you take the liberty but they're trying to hit people over the head with like you know how time travel works in this book but the problem is the way the director interpreted the time travel was very different than what JK Rowling had written yeah It's quite sad to see that Hermione still had the hope that the execution will not happen that's why she doesn't want to hear it happening also they want to like rush away from that place as soon as dumbledore and fudge and the executioner get into hagrid's hut she doesn't want to hear anything they are under the invisibility cloak she wants to run away from that place ron is stopping every few minutes because cabbers is not behaving but she really doesn't want to hear what was going to happen because this is the first time something like this is happening in harry potter right mm-hmm. we just can't believe that something is going to be killed and this unfairly without deserving it exactly one more factor in the whole thing is in spite of dumbledore this happened even dumbledore couldn't save the animal yeah you can clearly hear the whooshing of the axe hagrid's howl and the description when hermione hears the axe hermione swayed on the spot it's just so spot on i think though the movie has a very significant representation of their friendship in the scene mm-hmm. you know where they are all like hugging and looking at hagrid's hut sadly the fact that they are just sad as opposed to shocked kind of makes it unrealistic to me i agree i felt very underwhelmed <laughs> when i watched these parts of the movie because in the book there's so much urgency if you can describe urgency with words you can definitely show it and the urgency doesn't just end at this moment where hermione is trying to process what she just heard the book keeps it going by showing us that scabbers is still trying to escape and ron is still trying to hold on to scabbers and suddenly a lot of actors just burst on to the scene like harry is trying to make sure that they all stay inside the cloak because they can't be seen they're outside after curfew ron is trying to stop scabbers from escaping hermione is in shock crookshanks comes to a scene of total chaos with all of these things happening and then the most foreshadowed plot element in this whole book appears on the screen this big pale eyed jet black dog first of all i cannot believe that ron not only chased a rat 
but also caught it. <laughs> that, that is incredible. I agree. And as we know, it's quite hard. Yes, but I think we were also held back by the reluctance of not wanting to touch it. The whirlwind of events that happened starting this chapter is the reason this is one of the best written books in the series. I agree. Maybe the bar is set so high that the movie just couldn't match up, no matter what it tried. Yeah, and these chapters are just payoff for everything that comes up before this. Every small detail is like a dress. Harry sees a dark shape lurking after Cookshans. We meet the dark shape. <laughs> It's a dog. We have been hearing and seeing this dog from the beginning of this book. We are finally seeing this dog in person. So as I was reading this, this was the first time I think I noticed this line. Harry groped for his wand, blinking blood out of his eyes. Oh my god. Yeah, it's way more violent than I noticed before. Is it because of the whomping willow? Yeah. Ah. Yeah, the whomping willow does not make things any less more urgent. <laughs> Even a little bit. Ron is trying to get the rat. The dog is trying to get Ron. It's attacking Ron. Harry and Hermione are trying to figure out what's happening between like the dog and Ron and the Whomping Willow trying to kill them. <laughs> Obviously, in the middle of all this, Crookshanks is trying to get to Scavos. Yeah, and Crookshanks is also like darting around the tree. It's really hard because the dog is dragging Ron towards the tree, right? And Ron is trying to keep himself. above ground with these guys instead of trying to go into a tree but what ends up happening is that he hooks his leg around one of the roots yeah and the dog keeps dragging until poor ron's leg breaks poor poor ron but lucky for harry and hermione they finally get a break crookshanks knows how to neutralize a violent tree just mm-hmm. saying that sentence out loud gave me a thrill this is what magical books are all about <laughs> I hate to bring this up again and again but seriously the movie drops the ball so hard in this situation they're so focused on making Hermione look like this badass person who can you know climb on a violent tree and you know catch Harry's shirt and push him into the hole inside the tree oh they never neutralize the whomping willow in the movie no they don't and moreover ron being dragged under the tree is played off for a joke he's just like crying out in panic Harry is looking for his glasses in quite a comical way. Oh, there's no urgency of the situation. As soon as Harry gets into the tree, like goes inside the hole, Hermione follows him and there's this scene where she falls on him and they're like, "Oh, I'm sorry. What? Your friend might die." I know. He's being attacked by a dog. Yeah. That you thought was the grim. Where is the urgency in this situation? I agree. In the book, Harry is so panicked. He's so worried. I mean he hears a snap and he doesn't want to imagine what's going to happen with Ron and the movie has none of that that is really sad and i know that a lot of people are like very upset about how Ron and Hermione spoilers get together in the end of the series mm-hmm. they are of the opinion that she should have been with Harry but this one incident that i'm going to describe is the reason why i can never think of them as a couple Once they go down the passage and come up into this building, they are really worried about you know where the dog is and where Ron is, and they are like moving really slowly. Obviously, they are scared and stressed out. Hermione's grip on Harry's arm was so tight he was losing feeling in his fingers. He raised his eyebrows at her. She nodded again and let go. This is a purely comrade in arms type of reaction. <laughs> he doesn't reassure her. There are no sparks flying. <laughs> There's like a complete absence of chemistry. I agree with you. 
I also felt the same way because there are many points where and I think this comes up a lot in the next book when Harry could have reacted in a friendly manner he just chooses not to. Yeah. But I also think that the romance in Harry Potter is very understated primarily because Harry doesn't seem to ever have those feelings. What do you mean? Okay, even when he gets together with Ginny before that he's not being like I must be friendly to Ginny or I must comfort Ginny or those feelings just don't come up. for him actually this is incredible i think he's been so consistent in his character that i'm just realizing it he's just not the type of guy who expresses emotions again yeah it's a very realistic kind of romance if you think about yeah. it yeah there's one thing that the movie did quite well which was the reveal that the dog was serious you know ron screaming at the door and be like it was him he's not a dog he's been acting <laughs> i can accept that right until the moment they were like gary oldman is serious plug at which point i was like no i'm back to not accepting it why is he not handsome in a wasted kind of way <laughs> what yeah that's how they describe serious no they don't yeah not in that situation not in that situation but serious description is that at some point he was handsome but 12 years in askaban has taken it out of him not my serious <laughs> but the book's description of his appearance is amazing a mass of filthy matted hair hung to his elbows if eyes hadn't been shining out of the deep dark sockets he might have been a corpse the waxy skin was stretched so tightly over the bones of his face it looked like a skull his yellow teeth were bared in a grin it was serious black it just like put the picture in my mind so clearly it scared me <laughs> <laughs> I think that Ron is actually the best friend that Harry and Hermione could ever have because he stands up on a broken leg to defend Harry and issue threats. It's like if you want to kill Harry you have to kill us too. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I'm sorry to keep talking about it but the movie gives this line to Hermione. What really? Yes. Oh my god. It's such a disservice to Ron. I feel very sad. It is a huge disservice to Ron. Lots of people just watching the movie will never find out that Ron is this incredible person. They'll always think of him as his comical sidekick. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's not even given the same importance as Sam in Lord of the Rings. It's quite sad. It is incredibly sad, especially because Ron saying this to defend Harry is what seems to appeal to Black. Yeah, he actually calms down a little bit. I'm sure he could have seen himself in Hermione defending Harry in the same way, but the whole appeal is that he sees. Harry who looks exactly like James Potter and he sees his friend defending Harry James in a in the same way that Sirius himself would have defended James they were a group of boys who were friends and here is a boy defending his friend in the same way he's literally standing on a broken leg to do it it's amazing and i really think that ron is a gryffindor through and through i completely agree because ron not just issues this threat but even acts through on his words because in the scuffle that follows when harry gets aggressive and physically attacks black ron acts on his words by throwing himself on sirius's wand hand and trying to get the wands from him stupid but amazing yeah sirius black says that he expected harry to come save his friend just like his father would have in the chamber of secrets also the memory of tom riddle says that he knew harry would come and try to save ginny one The Weasley family truly has become bait family. <laughs> Poor them. Two. <laughs> How many people would use the same tactic? 
Also, the villain saying that they're banked on the hero being heroic is really getting old. Three, how could have Sirius Black possibly planned this? They were never supposed to be outside. Or was it a split-second decision? What are the other options that he have to get to the rat? Honestly, I think it was a split-second decision, and I think at some point Sirius might have also thought that Scabbers died. No, why? Maybe Crookshank said to him, a cat to a dog, <laughs> that Scabbers is missing from the dormitory, and there was blood on the sheets. No, but Crookshanks will know that Crookshanks didn't kill Scabbers. Also, uh, I think Sirius Black wouldn't hang around if he thought Scabbers died. I agree. maybe he was just trying to figure out where scabbers is so that he could find him and he's just lucky enough that he smelt scabbers on ron maybe and that's why he grabbed ron yeah it's like a two for one type of bonus situation you get the rat but you also get harry's friend the only way it would have been better is if harry were carrying scabbers <laughs> and the three of them basically tackle serious he doesn't defend himself too much I know because in the fight of two able-bodied teenagers plus one with a broken leg versus a grown man who spent twelve years in a depressing as heck prison, the former wins. Yeah, Crookshanks climbs onto Sirius as if to say, "If you want to kill him, you have to kill me." And I think this moment, which I'm not certain if it appears in the movie, is really powerful. Because throughout this book, Ron has been mistrustful of Crookshanks. He doesn't like him from the beginning. From the moment that Hermione buys Crookshanks, Ron doesn't like Crookshanks. And despite Hermione's many efforts to defend Crookshanks and the whole situation with Scabbers, there has been a lot of uneasiness around Crookshanks. And the part where Crookshanks knows how to neutralize the tree, the fact that he's friends with Sirius Black, the man who killed Harry's parents, seems like the ultimate betrayal for Hermione. Yeah. because she actually just moans like crookshanks no <laughs> yeah she spent all this book defending her pet only to find out that everybody was right all along to be suspicious of its intentions yeah since harry found out that sirius black killed his parents he's been wanting to kill sirius black and at that point they are in a situation where sirius is completely at his mercy he's pointing his wand at him wanting to kill him but not wanting to at the same time and this shows the core of harry's character he is not someone who murders people for the greater good even if he is in danger he killed the snake in chamber of secrets when he thought that he had to do to save ginny and that there was no other way but even in philosopher's stone contrary to what they show in the movie he does not actually kill quirrell at least on purpose but it's sad that in the movie they just removed all the nuance out of his character and just turned him into someone who had the capacity to kill when he was 11 years old even if it was for self preservation i think the fact that harry doesn't kill is one of the basic character trait that he has throughout the series and i can't believe that they just removed it in the first movie itself i agree i never thought about it like that but you're right the fact that harry doesn't kill is one of the basic underlying currents of the series it shows in every fight or uncomfortable situation that he's a part of and this situation really really tests harry where he's facing serious black when i read the scene there were two things that came to mind for me one is i'm not particularly fond of situations where drama is perpetuated by a person not spitting out what is on their mind like so this scene sort of annoyed me a little only because black keeps saying like hey i can explain he's just sort of dragging it out when i think if he just been like scabbers is actually a person and he's the one who killed your parents would have shocked them enough to want them to listen instead he just says i can explain i can understand why this reveal is being set up but also i really hate it 
and this happens a lot in romantic comedies and it really bugs me when a simple misunderstanding could have been solved instead of being like you have to listen to me why don't you give me 5 minutes why don't you just say it i think i had the exact opposite reaction the scene where lupin and sirius meet it's so cleverly crafted because you immediately feel like lupin is also on sirius side and they're both out to get harry but we know that it's all done for the build up of hermione's big reveal but it was wonderfully written and doesn't feel like a build up for the sake of build up to me because i read way of kings recently and i loved it by the way but the way brandon sanderson writes his big reveals you can just smell it from miles away <laughs> when um, <laughs> important characters meet i think he himself gets caught up in the excitement that he just can't write it realistically <laughs> i think when i spoke to you about it immediately after i read the book i was not able to articulate why it felt that way until i read this chapter and i read jk rowling's writing on this chapter because i am pretty sure if brandon sanderson or any other author had written the scene they would have just dragged it out for pages but you see so many things stacked up in this one you go through the shock the disappointment and then the big reveal and then you know confusion so many things in one or two pages and that's just amazing writing to me i agree i think it takes a writer of great skill to be able to convey all of this in just a couple of pages i was actually surprised at how short these chapters were exactly for the amount of information and depth of feeling that they contain i think information aside what you said about the depth of feelings is the true winner in this chapter we go through so many emotions it's not just the three of them it's a roller coaster ride for everyone who's reading it and it's insane that this entire sequence of events is set in a shack where the setting is so mundane that you cease to care about where it's happening or what is happening i still remember reading this book for the first time and losing even a sense of time like what happened before this i was so caught up in the events that when you know they actually catch up with the rest of the world i felt like okay like i forgot that the rest of the series even exists like <laughs> they have to go back to the outside world and i feel yeah. like the main characters also sort of feel the same way another thing about these series of events is when i was reading this particular part where harry is facing serious black and he has the wand at black's throat i really want to take it very seriously right because harry is so caught up in his emotions and he's holding the wand there but i also know that he doesn't know how to kill someone with just a wand using magic i felt like that sort of diffused the tension a little bit knowing how much we know about what harry knows because we follow him all through his magical life I felt like it undercut the scene a little bit. No, but I don't think that you only need to have a killing curse to kill someone. I don't know because we don't find out anything. He's holding it there, but I don't think even Harry knows what is required to kill someone with magic. True, but you can do other things. You can like magically levitate something and throw it at his head. <laughs> he he was pointing the wand at him. And you can do other things too. You can use petrificus totalis and then decide what to do. Yeah, yeah. I think it's all about Harry's decision whether he wants to do it. I also like that he's given the time to think through it and he clearly decides not to do it after which Lupin comes in to the room which is significant that's true it's not that Harry is choice is robbed because Lupin comes into the scene Harry makes a decision and then Lupin comes in I didn't mind that because I think when you're full of emotions and you're pointing your wand at someone whether you know it or not it's still a weapon you can do anything with it It's like holding like a butter knife. When you have the power, you can still cause a lot of harm with it. I see your point. Yeah, but when Lupin comes in and he has that whole exchange with Black, which sounds super confusing because he's saying some things, then Black is saying some things, and then he and Black hug. 
it sort of outdoes crookshanks in this whole ethu brutus <laughs> moment and yeah. poor hermione just gets unhinged yeah <laughs> lupin being on black side is the last straw for hermione <laughs> no hermione screamed harry don't trust him he's been helping black get into the castle he wants you dead too he's a werewolf hermione is just so clever I think she's also slightly guilty that's why she breaks out that way obviously she would have wondered if Lupin was the one helping Sirius Black inside the castle or something similar to that and she's worried that maybe by not revealing it she made a huge mistake yeah she is the cleverest witch of her age i love that lupin can be snarky even in this moment of great tension <laughs> i would say snarky is very professorish lupin replies with it's not up to the mark like usual you only got one out of 3 like i haven't been helping black into the castle i don't want harry dead but i won't deny that i'm a werewolf it's very telling that as soon as ron learns that lupin is a werewolf he behaves differently lupin tries to help ron up because again his leg is broken he rejects it he's like get away from me werewolf that one line from ron is enough for everyone to understand the amount of prejudice that the magical community has towards werewolves and it's no wonder that he didn't tell people and it's really sad how lupin reacts in that moment as well like it's with great effort that he has to turn away from that situation back to the matter at hand there are little moments of kindness that both serious and lupin continuously show even in that situation that can be really confusing for readers for example serious asks ron to not stand up or put weight on his foot and he's very kind to crookshanks he wants to get crookshanks away from his chest before harry can do anything to him and harry assumes that he really cares about the cat more than he cared about his parents they have these moments of tenderness that you can see if you look for them which can really throw you off lupin even in fact gives their wants back to them in an attempt to get them to listen to him honestly the frustration you were talking about it only happens to me in this chapter moony wormtail padfoot and prongs they drag the whole thing out so much that they cannot finish their story on time that's true but before we get to that part i want to say that when the big reveal happens and lupin says that i think scabbers is peter pettigrew ron says what we've been thinking all this time you're both mental like it's such a hard to believe story but then they start saying this incredible story that sort of substantiates this whole thing it starts sounding less ridiculous as they explain and more and more believable to the point where you get to this thing where is anything as it seems yeah The whole thing starts off with Sirius saying I want to commit the murder I was imprisoned for and I think that's a great writing prompt. I agree. <laughs> It's just so epic. I also thought it was so masterful mm. because the story in this reveal totally depends on us believing that wizards can transform into animals at will and the best part is we can believe this because we've seen this right from book 1. Correct. We have seen McGonagall transform into a cat. We might not know the name for this transformation but we know that such a thing exists. Hermione almost immediately buys in except for some technical details. She brings up the point that when she found out that professor mcgonagall is an animagus she looked up the list of known animaguses in the country and i think that shows hermione's dedication to her work yeah even harry is really impressed by how much effort she is putting into homework sometimes harry can be such a good friend he takes a moment from all this chaos to admire hermione's effort he's a great friend he thinks all these things he never says anything it's true so that makes this reveal even more fun to me because we've had some of these clues all this time mm-hmm.
so the whole story starts with Lupin being bitten by a werewolf and him not having a chance to get a proper education even as a young boy Dumbledore giving him an opportunity to study in Hogwarts another interesting reveal is that first of all the tunnel in the tree trunk led them to the shrieking shack and I know first of a shack has floors it has multiple floors they take the stairs oh yeah they hear a noise and ron says that this place is supposed to be haunted when lupin says that no it's not <laughs> that was a story perpetuated by dumbledore because this was the place i came to to turn into a werewolf lupin's back story is so tragic that i feel like he should have gotten his own eight part movie series <laughs> I think this is one of the best parts about Harry Potter that J.K. Rowling gives all of her peripheral characters their own storyline in the background. Like Lupin doesn't come to the forefront again for the rest of the series, but we actually see glimpses of how his life changes. He's going on his own emotional journey in the background. Yeah. And that's the reason so many people I think are so attached to this series and so many people are still like writing fan fiction about this series, building their own worlds of it because J.K. Rowling has imbued these characters with so much depth. True. It doesn't feel like a story at all. It feels like life. Harry is a little impatient but Hermione is all in the learning more information mode and he starts telling the story. He talks about how Hogwarts was the first time he had ever had friends and he wanted to keep his ailment hidden from James, Sirius and Peter Pettigrew because he didn't know how they would take it. But obviously they saw that he disappeared once in a month and they did not buy his story at all. Once he reveals to them that he is a werewolf, instead of shunning him like the wizarding society does, they learn to convert themselves into other animals. They learn to be an animagus. and they accompany him during his werewolf transformations i think we talk about friendship a lot within the trio but nothing compares to the friendship that these guys shared the marauders it's really something <laughs> obviously all this happened without dumbledore's knowledge and that made lupin feel really guilty because a full blown werewolf was roaming around the hogwarts grounds i mean after a certain point they stopped being in the shack and they started roaming around the hogwarts grounds and that's how they wrote the marauders map in fact Lupin had the Marauders map open and that's the reason he was there in the shack because he saw Peter Pettigrew. Lupin is the complex character that everybody wishes they could write. When he describes the conflict of feelings that he had not wanting to disappoint Dumbledore, the only person who's ever given him a chance his whole life and knowing that something that he knows about Sirius Black could be the reason that all these students are being put in danger. I can't even imagine what Lupin must have been going through. Yeah. But I just wish that they had started off the story by turning Scabbers into Peter Pettigrew first because this gave an opportunity for Snape to sneak up on them. Also, I find it a really unconvincing explanation that Snape was jealous of James because of his Quidditch skills. <laughs> Snape doesn't seem like the Quidditch kind. I know he's interested in Quidditch as the head of the house mm. and he even referees a match but I am not buying this explanation even a little bit. Good for you. We have a bigger explanation coming up in book 5. Yeah, but like even the first time I read this I was like really Snape Quidditch. But you have to remember that he was a young boy back then. Even though they could grow up into overgrown bats, they can still be interested in Quidditch when they're younger. No, I think anything can be the base of a jealousy. But I think Snape has the best entrance of all times. So that's why Snape doesn't like you, said Harry slowly. because he thought you were in on the joke that's right sneered a cold voice from the wall behind lupin severus snape was pulling off the invisibility cloak his wand pointing directly 
at Lupin. Even as Harry is deciding whether you know he should believe someone he trusts, because the explanation that he's giving seems really bizarre. He doesn't really get the opportunity to make up his mind because Snape like just swoops in. I thought it was so terribly stupid of a room full of people who have been under the invisibility cloak at one point or the other to not realize that that noise that you heard might be someone invisible creeping in. I think they just forgot about the invisibility cloak. I especially blame Harry, who had the invisibility cloak in his possession. We know that James, Sirius, and Lupin have used the invisibility cloak, but it's been a while, so I can excuse them. I know that Snape coming there doesn't really change a lot of things, but every time I read this book, I am filled with anxiety. I am like, please pick up the invisibility cloak before you get into the shrieking shack. <laughs> I wonder what it would have changed in the sequence of events. Nothing much. I mean, the whole sequence of events where Lupin is at his office looking at the Marauders map because he knew that Hagrid was going through something, and the three of them would try to go and console Hagrid. That itself, first of all, is very sweet. He looks at the map and he finds that they go into the Hagrid's hut, just the three of them. But when they come back, they come back along with Peter Pettigrew, which is incredible. And then he sees them going into the Shaking Shack where they meet Sirius Black. <laughs> He just had to run over here to find out what's going on, and conveniently left the map behind so that Snape could follow. Snape, who was bringing the wolf's bane potion, which is how Pin has been getting by as a teacher, because when you consume the wolf's bane potion, you convert into a werewolf, but you're not dangerous. It's such a great potion. It's so incredible that Hermione, Ron, and Harry get to meet most of the Marauders. Yeah. and it's such a tragic friendship it really is i think it all like comes back to voldemort because the big revelation here is that it was not sirius black who was the secret keeper they made peter pettigrew the secret keeper at the last moment because voldemort would never suspect him to be the secret keeper and it all comes back to voldemort because he is the reason that so many lives were destroyed so many futures just were made into nothingness imagine such brilliant students such brilliant friends what could they have grown up to become no one knows but at least these final revelations with snape coming in and the interaction between lupin and sirius all these were handled really nicely in the movie yeah the actors are extremely good like the grown up actors really carry the scene in this movie i mean not to discount daniel radcliffe or rupert grant or emma watson they are they are really good as well in the scene but i think it really helps that the adult actors are so good true you're right the actors really sell it because as soon as they see each other they start calling each other names and you totally believe that they have all this hatred from so long ago still inside them and in spite of all the serious shock that snape is in the school teaching yeah <laughs> like come on serious you were looking here for so long and you didn't see snape yeah looks like it That brings us to the end of our episode today. Thank you for listening. What did you think about this episode? Let us know on Twitter or Instagram or leave a comment on our website or iTunes. The podcast is on Instagram on Twitter where remember bimble pod. You can also tell Prashanthi Rai individually. She's underscore m pras m p r a s and i am vale on dechim see you in the next episode until then once in tea 